0: What's the ultimate objectives? I think too much we get bogged down in the how, and if you don't understand the fundamental purpose of the story that you're trying to tell, then you can't make good decisions.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to No Fat Cats. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. Welcome to the episode 36 with Barak Burad, where I get to interview him from Jinja, Uganda. And Barak lives in, in Uganda. He's been there for two years now. And what I love about him is that he understands the, the mixture between working in a program space, you know, doing work, and also the, the creative space, the marketing. So this episode is gonna appeal more towards people who work internationally in a certain extent, and specifically groups that work with nonprofits and helping them tell, tell stories of impact. Uh, one of the areas that I really love working has been working with with nonprofits who work in some ways overseas helping them tell client testimonials or, or stories of impact that are then used when working with donors as a lot of nonprofits especially right now who work overseas are going to have to figure out how to do things differently in the fall as Traditionally, you would be able to send a crew over, getting ready for your natural cycle of your fall fundraising campaigns. But guess what? This year, there's going to be so much less travel that you have to be able to communicate cross-culturally with someone who's already on the ground and explain what you're wanting to do. And that is exactly what I would do with, with Barrack. is he has the experience of working with creative crews, telling stories, and we dive in, what exactly does that look like when you're working in an international setting, when you're trying to communicate your plan? We dive into how pre-production is is even so much more important and about how you need to be able to listen to people, pay attention to what they, they want, involve a community, and make sure they feel valued versus having it be an extractive process. Because it definitely can be, if you're not careful, a process of traveling internationally, Pulling out stories that you want to use to raise money, and not actually treating their value as people, and not actually spending time to, to invest in them and build those relationships, and that's what we want to avoid. The audio might cut in and out occasionally, just due to the fact that he is all the way in in Uganda, Jinja, Uganda, the mouth of the Nile. So, without further ado, here's here's a friend, Barrick. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Barak, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I know I uh, just really love the, your work and the fact that you're living in in now from, from Jinja, Uganda.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's really awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: I, I do love the fact that, you know, internet is good enough that you can be, you know, kind of remote. In some ways, Jinja is a little bit off. I mean, it's kind of well known for being at, at the mouth of the Nile uh, there in Uganda, but it's a little bit off the beaten path. And yet we can still have this great conversation around the world.
0: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, internet has made a lot of things possible here that uh, you would not have imagined even ten years ago.
1: Now, so so for listeners here, I love to get I love your story because um, you you know you've lived in the U.S. for a while and done a lot of work in the development space. But what are you doing right now in in Jinja, Uganda? So
0: I work for an organization called One World Health. And One World Health runs locally sustainable health facilities here in Uganda and also in Latin America, in Nicaragua and uh, Honduras. And so I oversee a hospital and then a small network of rural health facilities. We have about 100 uh, staff. Uh, All of them are local Ugandan staff. I'm the only Westerner uh, that works for the organization here. And so I've been doing that for the last two years. All
1: right. Great. So you've been there for for two years now, and no, what had you been doing before uh, before before you moved?
0: So before moving to Uganda with One World Health, I worked for an organization based out of Nashville called Bloodwater Mission, and Bloodwater uh, is an organization that works with with uh, local indigenous organizations in sub-Saharan Africa addressing the water and HIV crisis.
1: Okay, and and just to be clear, I guess you also moved with with your family. This wasn't just a Um, Hey, I, you know, I'm just at school. I want to travel like you. Actually, that was a a pretty big commitment of moving your family all all the way out to to Uganda.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I have three kids who are ages uh, seven, nine and 15. And so they, of course, moved out uh, with me last year or two years ago.
1: Okay, I'm sure that was uh, quite the family adjustment.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a big step. It'd been something that we'd been praying for for a long time. My wife and I had lived in Cambodia for a number of years uh, early on, 2004 to 2006. Um, Our our daughter at that time was just six months old when we moved over there. And really, we had a a long-term vision to be based internationally doing uh, international development and uh, we moved back to the States just with a plan to be there for a short term, but I really loved uh, the organization that I was working with and the work that I was doing. And so I ended up staying with them for about 10 years before uh, this opportunity came up and we, we moved over here to Uganda.
1: Oh, that's great. And, and so what is it like in Uganda? I mean, we're recording this in the middle of, of the pandemic. Things are, the COVID pandemic, things are um, starting... F- starting to open up a little bit uh, at least i think for for us here i'm you know in the virginia dc virginia northern virginia area and i think today is actually the first day we're opening up phase one which i guess means you can get a haircut now um with a mask but what are things like uh, for you in uganda how how's it been affected
0: uh you know Uganda's a little bit of an anomaly here uh on the continent because uh they they really lock things down early on in the crisis Uganda has a long history battling uh, pandemics and, and communicable diseases. So you know we have Ebola sitting right on our borders in the Congo, South Sudan. Um, and so there's a lot of infrastructure here for dealing with those types of uh, epidemics. And as a result, the organization's really kind of has a fine-tuned awareness about the importance of uh, various types of containment protocols. And so, whenever coronavirus really started to become uh, a widespread issue, the uh, country—I believe it was March 22nd—locked down all of the borders and uh, stopped all internal travel within the country. And it's been that way since since March 22nd. Uh, They only uh opened up travel for private vehicles and um and businesses uh this this last tuesday in fact
1: oh wow and and how's it been for you guys you know living outside of a major city in terms of like groceries and and everything like that in terms of access to, to stuff
0: Uh, It's been it's been pretty good. Uh, We had a sense that there was going to be some pretty strict uh, lockdown measures put in place. And so we got prepared for that. But then also uh, essential services like grocery stores, uh, markets and pharmacies and that kind of thing have been open. And while we couldn't drive a vehicle uh, around, we could ride a bike or, or walk to any of those um, as needed. And so we've been able to keep well stocked with food and other supplies during this time period.
1: No, great great to hear. I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, was was there ever a question of evacuating or I guess in your role working with the hospital, was it a matter of, no, we're going to hunker down and, and ride this out?
0: Yeah, we definitely thought about it maybe for one or two seconds. <laughs> and then uh, we said, you know, uh, really, you're at risk no matter what you go, where you go. And, uh, and in some ways, we put ourselves at even more risk just by traveling than being based here in Uganda. Uganda, And because Uganda has taken a, a pretty aggressive approach to the virus, uh, to date, there's only been around 230-some cases of coronavirus in the country, and almost all of those cases have been uh, cases coming across the border. There's been very little infection within the country itself. And so for the most part, it's been quite safe here from a health standpoint.
1: No, that's great. And yeah, I'm sure you probably would have been exposed to a lot more had you been having to get on a plane, going through Europe, going through all those uh, crowded airports uh, just to make it to the U.S. where you're, there's probably way more cases. I mean, I think I'm in Fairfax County. Last I checked, you know, there were 7,000 cases in uh, in the county alone. Um you know, we had some friends who later tested positive that we had been around. So we were careful and like tested ourselves, thankfully tested negative. But yeah, I think you probably would have been safer. You're right. Staying in, in Jinja and not trying to, to somehow escape it by coming out to the U.S. And, and so what is the work that you're doing like now with the hospital? How, how has that been affected? And, you know, with everything going on,
0: uh, you know, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, Unlike many organizations, our our funding base has remained really stable. And so that's been a a huge blessing. The challenge for us as as a social enterprise development organization where uh, 90%, 100% of our operating costs are generated through patient fees at our facilities, Um, that's really put us at a certain amount of risk because our patient volume has dropped by about 50% because nobody can take public transportation like the motorcycle taxis or the buses to be able to come in and receive treatment at our facilities. And so that's created uh, something of a a financial gap in our revenue stream. Fortunately, we've been able to keep things uh, on track uh, because our donor funds have remained stable. Uh, and we're hoping that, uh, with the, uh, with the easing of the travel restrictions that have just been, um, set up by the government that we'll start to see a growth in our patient volume again.
1: Uh, that's super helpful. So it sounds like you, in some ways, uh, you know, you have that mixture of donor fund supporting, but also local fees that kind of help make things sustainable. So in some ways you get that mixture of, of funding, which sounds like a very sustainable model in terms of you have that balance there.
0: Yeah, you know, and and for organizations, uh, really the gold standard is to have a really diverse funding base. Uh, so that you're not reliant on any one source. And for us as an organization, we have the the added benefit that a large percentage of our funds are in-country generated revenue. And since that's part of our service delivery model, in almost every situation, that's a huge asset. In this situation, you know, this sort of like 1% 1 scenario, it's turned out to be something of a challenge because if you don't have patients, then you don't have revenue.
1: You no know, that that would be be tricky, but I know too, so you have a background in terms of communication, and in terms of you know you've worked on a lot of crews, you've worked on um you know filming. How has your communication role played out in in your current job when it comes to to advertising, whether it's to and communicating whether it's locally or communicating back to donors in, in the u s
0: yeah um it, it, it's been really fun because working for a social enterprise development organization means that there's a lot of business angles to the programmatic work and so we have to think about marketing and messaging and communication to our customer base which is our patients in uh in the communities or the towns uh, that we're serving and so whether that's developing radio programs whether that's creating printed materials whether that's educational public health messaging which also has uh, a, a PR kind of uh, element to it. There's just a lot of angles uh, in, which, in which you're exercising those creative skills. And then of course, with a donor base uh, in the US, we have the usual social media audiences. We have donors that will come over to Uganda and, and visit our projects. And so it's knowing how to communicate with our different audiences as well that's important.
1: So what, what kind of work are you currently doing in the kind of the communication space for stuff that you're sending back to, to donors in the US?
0: So it's a mixture of different uh, content, some of it related to patient impact stories and photos that we might use on social media and other marketing platforms. Uh, we have stories for our major donors and newsletters, our annual reports. Uh, Any type of event that we have or if we're rolling out new services or training programs, then we're always trying to pull together the story of what we're doing and how it's impacting the community so that our teams in the U.S. have that material.
1: Oh, no, that's great so so overall, too, I'm just curious to pick your brain a little bit because you know right now, you no, know, no crews are going overseas in the last next bit, but especially for for nonprofits who do have to be able to communicate their impact, especially coming up with like the fall fundraising season, which is very important for the nonprofit life cycle like what are your tips for if you can't send a crew? how do you communicate what you're hoping to do to a team on the ground that's time zones away that you don't know that might not know your Uh, you know, specific, you know, ethos or or way of doing things. What are your tips for for groups that are in that position right now?
0: Um, You know, I think the biggest thing is really having your own story dialed in really well knowing what your brand is knowing who your audience is knowing exactly what you're looking for from a campaign or marketing initiative or or an event so that you're able to give really clear concise directions to a crew on the ground Uh, in particular understanding the why you know why are you doing this what's the purpose behind it what's the ultimate objectives I think too much we get uh, bogged down in the how and maybe the minutia of what we're trying to to look for, and as you well know, as soon as you land on the ground with a crew, the story changes. Uh, the situation changes, you, you have to kind of run with with uh, whatever situation presents itself to you. And if you don't understand the fundamental purpose of the story that you're trying to tell, then you can't make good decisions. And that's ultimately what you need to be able to empower a local creative team or storyteller to be able to do.
1: So in some ways, do you think it's a matter of making sure they really understand the story and and what you're trying to do from the very beginning and and spending a lot of time walking through goals in in pre production.
0: Yeah, pre production is huge. The more time you spend on pre production, uh, the the better content that you're going to get, the better your post production process is going to be. And really, it's, it's knowing where to focus your priorities. Because uh, it's not going to come out exactly like your vision or idea is, you know, it's a collaborative process. Ultimately, you want to make sure that your your goals and your high-level objectives and and sort of the brand and ethos and voice of the organization is going to come through in the story. And then you kind of have to step back and trust your creatives and allow the story to unfold based on their own creative expertise and the situations that they encounter on the ground and really be flexible to those realities.
1: Yeah. Because often, I mean, as with trips I've done before, you know, there's often you arrive, you think you've done your pre-production work and then you realize, well, the story isn't quite what we thought it was. Something's a little bit different. And and you have to be able to make decisions on the ground at times because at times you might be out filming someone and let's say it's 8 a.m. in Uganda, everyone else in the U.S. is is still asleep. You can't say, oh, well, let me wait until to find out, you know, everyone wakes up to ask them what we should do here. You kind of have to know in the moment what to be able to make a decision because you've spent all that time. And, and so for that cross-cultural communication, you just recommend allocating extra time for, you know, Zoom calls, for WhatsApp calls through email. Is there a format that you find works best for communicating to crews interculturally um, across time zones?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, we don't use WhatsApp much in the United States, but it's pretty much the global standard for uh, digital communications, whether it's text messaging or audio or video communication, uh, especially in these kinds of low bandwidth contexts. and and where technology itself is sometimes a barrier because people aren't familiar with a wide range of platforms And so their ability to quickly adapt and learn something new is not as rapid Uh, but if you pick technologies that are familiar to whoever you're working with and um, And utilize those then you're going to have a much higher uh, You're going to spend more time talking about the story and less time problem solving the technology at hand and so um, you know, I think regular check-ins is really important. Um, even if it's kind of daily check-ins for five, ten minutes, just to see how the day went, get feedback, be able to provide uh, real-time dialogue about what they've been seeing, experiencing, providing some creative direction. That can really help uh, go a long way to keeping a story on a on a track that's in line with what an organization needs.
1: All right, so just making sure. Even if it's, you know, they are, you know, worlds apart, um, you know, planet apart, just making sure that you are doing, you know, regular check-ins, make sure it's a process and, and keep keeping communication going and, and perhaps almost expecting it to take longer. Do you think than if, if you sent a crew over for, from the U S and they were, you know, focused there for a week or, or something like that?
0: Yeah. You know, I think flexibility is always key. Um, and, and the more time that you can give to a project, the more opportunities you have for capturing high quality content. And so if you've, if you've got that kind of flexibility and that's one of the benefits of working with a local team is you're not necessarily burdened by a lot of operational costs or especially, you know, if it, if it is truly local, like they're in that region and you're not uh, putting a lot into your, into your expenses, then you can afford to allow them a little more freedom and time uh, in, in the actual shoot. And, you know, one of the other things that I think about too, is really communicating uh, not just what you want, but what you don't want and helping people to understand where do they have creative freedom? Where are the stakes in the sand in this story in terms of you know, who the story subject is or, or what kind of voice you wanna use or what kind of opportunities you wanna see? And that gives them a, a better ability to make the right kinds of decisions.
1: Okay, that's, that's great. And how do you help make sure that they're inspired about the story too? Like what is that process like of making sure they get what you, what you want? Any tips for finding great stories?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think the first thing is communicating the why of your organization, you know, that, that central uh, idea of, of why you as an organization exists, what your mission is, um, what kind of impact you want to see in the world and, and really helping your storytellers grasp that idea and then bringing it down another level too, the particular fundraising marketing opportunity that you're working on and and what's the why of that particular story that you're looking for and really trying to inspire them with the same things that, that inspire you.
1: Yeah. And then how do you find stories in terms of going out and helping them find an inspiring story, you know, especially with a lot of people like to share in in like a group setting, you know, like culturally, like going out, but then necessarily like telling, you can't really tell a group story as much for an American audience. So how do you kind of pull, find those stories and then transition to something that might work more, you know, in the American context?
0: Yeah. So I know when I'm doing storytelling, I'll often, do a little additional pre-production when I'm actually on site. And so when I'm working with a partner organization, I'll just have them set up a community meeting, a community event around whatever program uh, that we're going to be looking at. And I'll just ask the community to, to share what they've been doing, how it's been going. Uh, They love speeches. They love to talk about how they've been impacted. They love to share testimonies of the work that's been going on. And so I don't even pull out a camera on that day, really. I just sit down with the community, let them talk, um, we, we drink Coke together, we eat chapati together, and it's really a chance to connect on a personal level and, and hear from them. And, and that's really beneficial for a number of reasons. One, because it breaks down a lot of the barriers and the intimidation of having somebody that they know is a, you know, a, a camera person who's coming in to do film. Uh, that's an intimidating thing for anybody, let alone somebody living perhaps in a rural context. Um, and so it, it establishes that, that relationship and that rapport right out of the gate. But it also gives you, as the storyteller, the freedom to really get to know different people and different voices and align those with whatever the objectives are for the story that you're, that you're trying to tell. And so then what I'll do is, I'll, is kind of at the end of the day, I'll talk to our partner on the ground and I'll say, hey, you know, this person over there was was uh they had a really amazing story they articulated it really well they seemed to enjoy interacting with me would that you know would they be open tomorrow to come back and just spend the day with them uh hearing more about them taking some video and that kind of stuff and so then that allows me to step into maybe a more traditional uh shoot process with that person but having done the groundwork of uh, selecting somebody that I know is going to be really solid and having a, an established rapport before I ever pull out a camera.
1: No, oh, that's helpful. And and do you find too that when you give the community time to talk, that that then they're not necessarily offended if you go and select one person afterwards because they all feel like they've been heard, validated, you know, versus just going in and, and singling one person out who you identified maybe beforehand somehow, but, but not actually involving the community and how how do you balance those
0: yeah you know you definitely have to be sensitive about that and i think uh another piece of that process is uh communicating why i'm there to them and so uh Really trying to bring it down to a level that they're under that they understand. So I normally just talk about friends and family in America that uh, want to know more about them, hear about the changes that are happening in their lives, know know their story, and that uh, it's an opportunity if they want to share their story with us for me to take that back with me. Uh, to the To the U.S., so that you know people can pray and support for them, uh, and support them, and that kind of thing. And so uh, I try and create that sense of purpose for them as well, uh, because really storytelling should be a participatory process. It should bring dignity into the relationship. Uh, it should be an act of solidarity. It should never be extractive or 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 <laughs> objectifying and so when you when you allow participation in the story and you give it that sense of purpose then you find people are become more enthusiastic about it and and sometimes you do have more people wanting to contribute to the story than maybe what you've got time for, and that I think is where you rely on your local partners, local leadership, to say, "Hey, you know, we've only got time for you know one, maybe two stories, uh, and so you know, we'd really like to to speak with these people." Sometimes, though, to be honest, we'll shoot uh, we'll shoot a couple of 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 people, stories of people that we know we aren't going to use just because the process of engaging that person imparts value and so for that reason we know we probably won't use it but we're going to shoot it anyway just because we want those people to know we care about them
1: now that is a good point because no there are times where you know people do want to feel you do feel special especially if you know if you feel a little more marginalized and you know you're struggling like being heard helps you feel important and so i think that right when you can like take the time to, to record something with somebody and have it be quick, that's enough to, to help them feel valuable, feel important, even if they know they don't necessarily realize that no, it won't actually make the final cut of the video that is used everywhere. And, and about how much time would you would you try to allocate for let's say you're trying to tell an, an impact story and you know maybe it's for a big event or, or a big campaign, how much time would you usually allow from going to an area like what would be your ideal timeline from, from pre-production, going to an area, filming, how many days of filming and then kind of post-production afterwards?
0: Yeah, you know, I think for kind of your standard three to five minute uh, impact story that you might do for a major event or campaign, uh, I would prefer a minimum of three days the first day being that process I described where you just go in and you work with the community and interact with them on a personal basis. Then you've got uh, a second day where you're doing your primary shooting, uh, capturing your interviews, and B roll. Then you go home in the evening. You uh, call through all of the footage and content that you've gathered. You see if you have everything you need, and then you've got one more day to follow up for any additional B roll or if you've got some misses in your interview process. Uh, then you can you can go back and reshoot that.
1: No, that's helpful. And, then, and how much time would you try to spend beforehand before you actually have the crew showing up in terms of planning for pre production?
0: I mean, pre production is usually. Uh, two or three substantial uh, conversations with an organization uh, where you're uh, perhaps dialoguing with key voices in the organization, whether it's the executive director or the founder or, or specific programs people that, that know the work really well. And so depending on how many of those voices you interact with um, will kind of drive how much uh, listening you want to do on the front end of your pre-production process. Um, as as well as just kind of how complex the narrative is.
1: But at least having several key conversations. And I imagine that would even be more important if you're communicating with a crew that, that that isn't actually in-house or doesn't quite get um, exactly what you want because there's a cross-cultural component there.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: No, right. And then after is obviously just the, the editing process. But no, it's really helpful hearing some of those tips and, and kind of that breakdown because... You know, I think everyone really needs to who is involved, you know, with communicating, especially working in an international setting. You know, I think the rules of the game for for this year are really changing, and being able to communicate cross culturally is only going to be so much more important this year. As uh, you know, I think at times people can rely on well. Hey, I'm going like we're sending the crew. They kind of get what we want and, and you can get by without having to communicate as well or plan because you know that the people who just get it will be able to, to film stuff. But that's not the case right now because, um, you know, there's so much uncertainty in terms of travel, planning, second waves. Uh, but it is still important to be telling those impact stories. But we just have to, to be able to get them in another way.
0: Yeah. I think it's a huge opportunity, too, for um, there to be a stronger bridge between uh, our organizations that are based in the united states or or based in north america who are working uh, across the ocean somewhere it, it's easy and i get it you want to work with a production team that that you know that knows you well that maybe has a history of gathering content for you but there are so many talented storytellers that are working on the ground uh, some of them Uh, you know, like me or others um, who have done storytelling, there are, uh, individuals as well as teams that, that do it full-time, and that's their main job. They move over here just to be able to tell uh, stories of what uh, nonprofits are doing. And then there's a growing body of lo- local uh, creative expertise that has really, over the last five, 10 years, really started to emerge. And so African voices who are telling the stories of their own communities, their, the, the work uh, that's happening in their own country. And so being able to engage with them and empower them, you know, that has, that has a double impact. Not only are we engaging with communities in the the sort of traditional work that we do as nonprofits, but then we're also building society as a, as a whole here by empowering those uh, creatives, by, by empowering those professionals to be able to impact and transform uh, the countries that they are, they're from
1: i think that is a good point you know last year at one point i was doing some filming in in kibera kenya and you know just like doing some filming and, and then a group shows up that has uh, you know like a, a canon like 5d mark mark 4 and a whole bunch of stuff and you know i think they're filming a music video but the point is like there are people who understand story who have uh, equipment and they you know when you look for them you, you can find them and in some ways two you know you can get get your filming done uh in many ways many times just for the cost of what like one plane ticket would be for or the plane tickets would be mm-hmm. let alone uh actual time and, and so i think right now this is going to be the chance for people to have to say how how can i use those people who, who are local who have the skills and 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 use them but do you have any tips on finding them do you think it is is it going to become kind of a network is it Matter of reaching out to contacts, seeing referrals—is it Instagram? I don't. Any tips there?
0: Yeah, I I think it's all of the above. You know, if you go onto Facebook and you look up photography groups uh, by country you know, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Zambia, wherever, um, and, and you just look for photography groups, you know, they're often clustered in, in, uh, in Facebook groups or, or other platforms where they're networking together to, to find clients and opportunities. So that's often a good place to go. Um, you know, t- talking to organizations that uh, have a footprint in a specific country and say, hey, do you have any local uh, people, local creatives that you guys use or recommend um, that, that we could reach out to? And so, you know, that's another way to go about finding people.
1: No, it's a very helpful tip. I think it is surprising how many networks there are out there of people who, who are doing stuff and you can find people when you just take the time and, and look and, you know, it takes a little bit longer and you have to do a little more uh, communication work. But I think for this year, that's if you want to get great local relevant content, I think in some ways that's going to be the way it's going to have to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and similarly, there's often networks of of international and local organizations that you find online, you know, Facebook has any number of, of international uh, Facebook groups that uh, whether it's whether it's trying to find a house whether it's trying to figure out homeschooling or international school for your kids, you know, people cluster around any number of subjects. And so if you just go in and you look for those different interest groups and then you just put out there, hey, this is what I need, uh, usually they're really excited about sharing uh, their contacts and information. The other thing, I'm, uh, the other thing that's uh, started to come up more is teaching storytelling um, to nonprofits. Um, or even my own nonprofit, you know, because like my staff are all Ugandan. Yeah. Um, they're they're five hours away. I see them basically a week out of the month, and so when I get content requests from the U.S., if I'm not there directly to gather it, then I'm relying on my Ugandan staff, who are doctors and nurses, administrators, and you know, besides the cultural barrier, if you're not a storyteller, even an American, you know, yeah. uh, it's not going to be necessarily capturing the right kind of content. And so I'm having to put together kind of story trainings like I've done in the past when I worked with Bloodwater and we would, I would do storytelling workshops with our, our national partners. I'm starting to do that with our teams here. And then I've had organizations also reach out and ask about, you know, hey, how can we tell how can we tell better stories, whether it's whether it's just like we need to get bullet points in an interview yeah. to send back to the home office? Like, how do we get stuff that they want?
1: Yeah. And, I th- and you could either do it for, you know, local staff or you could also do it for you know American staff in terms of understanding that dynamic. Because I think a lot of people I mean, it's like hard enough trying to explain some of those elements, people in the US and some people do get it. Um, I think you're obviously your bigger nonprofits are going to get it. Um, or, or get the storytelling component, but they may not necessarily get the, may not have some of the field experience or the cross cultural experience because I think those, that can be two different things. Where your marketing director, obviously, might have some experience, but doesn't necessarily have as much experience on the ground, even if they, if they came. Yeah, from, no, I think you know, that would they, I think because you don't be always awesome. get marketing directors. Um, you know, I'd love to have the development experience. Sometimes they're marketing some people. Kind of like of came Some type of webinar series, you know, kind of um, riff on the yeah.
0: heroes. Exactly. And there's always there's always a huge divide between your marketing department and your programs department. There you is. Know, your, your, your marketing department doesn't have sort of the techno speak um, to be able to communicate well with the programs department and the programs department doesn't know what the marketing department really wants. Um, and they tend to err on very technical sort of yeah. diatribes rather than story narrative. Um, you know, I'll ask our teams for stories and what I'll get is a patient chart. <laughs>
1: you know, with like diagnosis,
0: and I'm like, this is not, not a story. A story. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I think some of the one of the I think some of the biggest value add to to contribute to the space um, is how do you connect your marketing team with your programs team? Uh, how do you how do you help them communicate with one another? And then, um, you know, for for your marketing people, you know, just because you're a marketer doesn't mean that you're a storyteller. Um, There's lots of different types of marketers, as you know. And so, um, being able to create an actual cohesive narrative um, that that achieves whatever your marketing objectives are, that that is its own kind of expertise. And so often what I see is like marketer, you know, a marketing director or marketing manager will Come to a, a project site and engage at the community level. Maybe they're even the ones that are doing the interviews because they they know what they want. But then what they end up doing is is they just read from a script to the person that they're interviewing, almost like they're doing a survey, mm-hmm. and and it just comes out so woody and 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 unauthentic, and and you. You only ever ride the surface of the story whenever you work with people that way, you have to know in your head the questions that you want to ask. And then you have to put that script down and just allow the conversation to emerge organically.
1: No, super helpful. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been a loved our conversation and glad we could finally, you know, reconnect and glad to hear that things seem to be going uh, you know, well, all things considered for you, and um, yeah, I can't wait to to next time we can do some things. So I love always love hearing your your expertise, your thoughts, and, um, and and tips for for working on things. As you don't get that that many people who understand the creative side and yet are are embedded, and get also the development side, how organizations work, and just have that experience um, kind of like that you have.
0: Thanks. Uh, it's been awesome. Love catching up, and thanks for letting me be on your podcast.
1: No, thanks. And and for people who might want to check out some of your your work, I know you obviously, you know, have the hat of work of the organization. You know, what would be the best way if someone wanted to check some stuff you're doing or, or support even, you know, the organization that you're working for, what would be the best way or, or links for them to to check some stuff out?
0: Um for the organization that I work for, One World Health, you can go to oneworldhealth.com and uh, you can see a lot of what we're doing there. Uh, if you want to see some of my own personal work, uh, Instagram is the best place to find me. Brewerd Breward uh, on
1: Instagram. Oh, it sounds good. Well, I'll have those links in the show notes as I, I know it is always, you know, you get different mixes where creatives, especially like they have personal work. You also work separately from the organization and it's always a mixture of, you know, you have different priorities, but I think if someone is really creative there, they will be kind of producing some of their own stuff. That's just like for them that they enjoy doing aside from necessarily their, uh, you know, traditional nine to five, so to speak job. So I'll have those links there. Well, thanks so much. It's great having you on the podcast. And that wraps up another episode of no fat cats. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is this new phase of cross-cultural communication look like when it comes to working with video teams what questions do you have about it is there something else we can be producing i love the idea of potentially teaming up with barack to answer your questions about how do you communicate your vision to someone from a different culture and have them execute it in a way that connects back to you know, an American audience? What are your questions? Shoot me an email, reach out to me on, you know, on Instagram. Would love to get your sense emails, wesley at intermotionmedia.com. Love to get your thoughts there. If you have any other ideas for how can we further explore this topic more, I, I would love to hear those as well. I know some big key takeaways for me were just remember to invest in people, make sure you give yourself extra time, use tools that locals have, whether it's WhatsApp, but no matter what, make sure you're having regular communication with your crews on the ground. I hope things are going well for you. I know where I am at in Northern Virginia, things are starting to open up this week, still very early phase one, but I hope that as we settle in, that you're able to create stories, create the video content you need to be able to move your your business organization forward. And as we kind of settle into what the rest of the year looks like. So until next week, hope you have a great week and we'll catch you next time.